1: Hello and welcome to American Muslim Project. I'm Assad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. Yeah. My guest today is Uzma Jaffrey, the co-host of the podcast, Mommying While Muslim. Mommying While Muslim is a weekly podcast that supports American Muslim moms and the unique issues they face in a post 9 11 world. Uzma co-hosts the show with her childhood friend, Zaba Hassan, and together the two share personal experiences from motherhood, bring on guest experts, and discuss American life and culture. When she's not podcasting, Uzma is a physician and runs her own practice in Phoenix. She grew up in Texas to Muslim immigrants from Pakistan and India. We began our conversation talking about why her and Zeba started a podcast targeting Muslim moms.
2: Yeah. So we did um, some research and we're looking, because Zeba, before she had called me, had already looked up like tons of resources, Googling, and, and she said there's really nothing out there and there's nothing on this particular medium because let's face it, as moms who are also earning outside of the home, you don't have very much time to get any reading done or any reading that you're done is, you know, professionally related or how do I get my kid to sleep or what do I feed my kid, you know? So what can I listen to in the hour that I spend in the car going to work, in the hour that I spend chauffeuring my kids to and from school? And there there were no podcasts for Muslim American moms. And that's what we really wanted to focus on, you know, kind of highlighting the good, the bad, and the ugly of us growing up pre 9-11 and then the good, the bad, and the really ugly that happened post 9-11. So, you know, we were like, we're the only ones who have experienced this our generation, but we're the only two who are stepping up and doing it because nobody else wanted to or said that it was necessary. And we're like, but we're telling you it's necessary because we needed these resources and they weren't available. Let's provide them before somebody else suffers or has to ask for help like you did.
1: I mean, both you and Zeba are moms to many, many kids. Is that right? Uh, you have three, We is have that eight right?
2: kids between us.
1: Eight, oh, eight, eight total. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I thought it was four and three, but it's, yeah, it's four no, and four. Yeah, no, we're four and four, and we oh, both
2: have um, three boys and one girl, and it wasn't planned that way. That's just the way they came. So, That's yeah. Awesome. So and you guys have
1: known each other for... A long time.
2: Yeah. Our dads were roommates back in the day in Chicago when they first immigrated to the United States. Um, But yeah, we're second generation friends and uh, always have been and had our tumultuous teen years together. The I would say it was a, a love, different kind of love relationship. Other people looked at it as love, hate, but we're two very strong personalities. We're two oldest, you know, and what I like to tell, remind people is traumatized people, traumatized people. So if we traumatized each other, it was because <laughs> we had so much baggage. And then, oh, you know, amazing. the the great part about all that trauma is that it resulted in this podcast that we're hoping is helping us resolve some of what we grew up with and, you know, see the silver lining in all of it and share both of those experiences with uh, millennial moms and uh, what we thought was That old generation of immigrants is going to die out and then it's just going to be us and we're going to be great. It's like, no, no, there's always an influx of immigrant Muslims coming in, which to us isn't scary. I know there's contingencies that are very fearful of it, (laughs) but, um, you know, to tell them like your kids, your culture are not threatened just because of America. In fact, it's a place where your religion can be the best um, and your practice of it can be the best, uh, better, I think, than your uh, nation of origin.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, so you and Zeba are are super approachable. I mean, you can tell that you've had this lifelong friendship, and and are uh, self deprecating. You have you can just tell even in this conversation this dry sense of humor that you have, and and on top of that, uh, very smart. I, I mean, as I was preparing for this interview and and listening to you speak on other podcasts. Um, I was intimidated by just how well spoken you are, and how how thoughtful you are, and how passionate you are about so many issues. I, I feel like that comes across in the podcast, and 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 so I know you say that it's for uh, Muslim mothers, but I feel like uh, others will, will enjoy that too. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying listening to you.
2: I love that. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. It's super super flattering. And you know, I think. That's the beauty of motherhood, like many other topics, but particularly motherhood. And it was a surprise to us to find out how universal it was. Like, nobody's going to argue with a mother, regardless <laughs> of the color of her skin or what she believes or doesn't believe in, when she's fleeing for safety or when she's trying to feed her child or when she's arguing gun control. Like, people will listen to a mom, and it won't just be Muslim moms who care about that. Oh, look, other moms, like, it, it resonates with them like the school choices that we have to make or the restrictions that you know our daughters have on the sports field and such and so forth so it does resonate and because both of us um have a lot to say i think that's a firstborn problem uh you know the podcasts are a great to say we thought we would just be talking into like an empty space and it turned out like all these non-muslim women showed up evangelical men showed up and we we're like that's oh that's really weird but
0: okay uh, we' the that yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a question that you, have, I, you and I have talked about um, just recently when we connected, is that where, are, where is the Muslim community in, in the podcast world? And I just want to hear your thoughts on that.
2: It, it kind of stems from all kinds of media. There's so much consumption of that religious information because people are still hungry for it, right? We are still so afraid of losing our religion. Let's hang on to just the religious talks, which are great, Right. But as first-time moms in this weird generation where one of our feet was always on one side of the planet, having never been to that other side of the planet, we still felt that way, right? The pull of two cultures. Well, there was nobody to support us, and the religion, the religious talks were like, oh, if you read this chapter or you do this, you know – this remembrance will help you. And oh, if you fast, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? Half the time we can't like postpartum you can't like most yeah, of your life. You can't. Yeah. So fasting doesn't help us. And this makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like if I was a better Muslim, then I would be a better mother. But that's not always the situation. Ideally. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Theoretically. Yes. But in reality, no, I am spending my days hating my children, Cussing you know life, like just potty mouth and upset, and no, I'm not getting any relief from prayer because when I can pray, my kids are all over me, there's something burning on the stove, there's seventeen other calls from where it's just there's no concentration in anything, so it made us feel worse, and as observant Muslims, if we're not finding relief in this, what's happening to the majority of people who? you know, are just kind of like, yeah, I'm Muslim, but I'm not like religious, I'm normal, you know? So how do you, what do you create for the majority normal Muslim who's trying to navigate, you know, again, two feet on two sides of the earth and not religious enough, but not, you know, partying enough. So that's kind of what, I see that people are trying to find those spaces in podcasts. They're still stuck to the religious spaces though. And so the more they realize that, hey, no, there's people like us who are normal and addressing the normal, come on over. We'll talk about some stuff that'll make you blush, but that's because you do it in private anyway. You know, we're just doing it on a microphone and we're being real. We're telling you about how we're having trouble, you know, staying consistent with our prayers and maybe missing Fajr this week. But at the same time, like, what is it? like? How are we addressing the problem? And these are, I think, real-life questions that we can um, help the Muslim American community address. It's just telling them that, yeah, the religious lectures are great and the religious resources are great, but they're missing the majority of us. Come and yeah. find the rest of us. I think that's what, I mean, at least that's my theory.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's an interesting theory, and I think your background also uh, talks about it. I mean, you, you you say how you're unapologetically... Muslim and American, and that you also struggled with your own identity up until motherhood or or you so was were like 30, thirty, thirty-five. Thirty-five. Mm-hmm. 35 wow. Yeah, 35. <laughs> oh, man, I feel like you're <laughs> not much older than thirty-five right now. So <laughs> uh, but so talk to me about that. What what was life like for you pre-35? And you grew up in in Texas and, mm-hmm. and 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 what was that like for you?
2: Yeah. So Texas was fine. A lot of people just assume that I grew up with a bunch of racists. And honestly, when I left Texas, I could have counted, I had met three rednecks in Texas. And the other two, I met outside of Texas.
1: Were you in Austin? Is that where you grew up? Is that why? No, I'm from Houston, Texas, which (laughs) is amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing people like, well, if you're from Texas, how come you don't have an accent? So all these kinds of stereotypes. And I'm like, Houston is a metropolis guys. Like there's all kinds of people there. So I, I still have my Texas pride. Those are some of the stereotypes that I think I break too, is the tech, the ones about my big state, sadly, not during COVID, but you know, outside of that. Yes. Um, So my parents were those very fearful immigrants. And I would say less my mom, more my dad. And I don't know where it came from. He says it came from the fact that he had a daughter in America. So even though he doesn't know it's a very misogynist. to this day, he doesn't know how misogynistic it is. But he's like, oh my God, I prayed for a child. I had a child in America and it was a girl. And he was thrilled that I was born a girl, but he felt additional pressure that, oh, I've had a girl in America. She's gonna sleep around and get pregnant like everybody else. Everybody in America does that, right? So,
1: and this would and, have been the '80s when you're uh, you're up. Oh, age? I wish I was born '77. Oh, so '77, okay. Yeah,
2: so <laughs> it was the late '70s, and um, my dad was just petrified and super strict, right? Um, and it's really weird because his mom was super liberal, like she was really cool. His parents, I think, I never met his dad, um, but he sounded, you know, like he had a temper, but he was not very. We didn't come from a super religious family. So religion was really important. Education was really important and family. So I would say if Islam has five pillars, my family had those three, family, education, and faith. And so we always knew we were Muslim, but my dad was very big on, you are not an American. You are a Pakistani Muslim. You're from Pakistan. And I think early on I may have been like, oh, was I born there? Because I didn't even know where I was born. Um, And he was like, oh, no, you were born in Chicago, but that doesn't matter. You are from where your father is from. And I was like, but you were born in India. And he was like, yeah, but no, that's Pakistan now, so it doesn't matter. And I'm like, but you were in the part that's still India.
1: Yeah. So
2: it's like, But you were born in India, India. It's not Pakistan now. That part of India is still India, daddy. And he'd be like, no, no, you're from where your parents come from. And you're from wherever we go back home to. Now, my family was one of those rare birds that didn't go every summer and every winter to Pakistan, because it was just financially out of the question for us. And my dad had this dream of everybody going together. And you know, that just adds up. Yeah, sure. I did go when I was four and it wasn't a great experience um, when I was four and my whole family came back traumatized. But um, after that, I think, I don't know if my dad just didn't want to go or if it was a financial thing, but the whole pressure of you are Pakistani Muslim before anything else um, was really important. You can't be American. American is bad. Even our friends who were mixed. Um, and I'm talking about outside of Zeba. Um, And that was a different situation because that's his friend and he's raising his family right, but the majority of people were doing it wrong. Uh, Americans are bad because they have no culture and look what they did to the black people and to this day, black Americans, like they strip everything from them. They will never let you be one of them because if you're not white and if you're not a man, you are not American. So just be as different as you can. So it was when I was 35 that I met a woman who was like, you know, where are you from? And I was like, Houston. And she's like, where's your family from? I said, Pakistan. She's like, oh, okay, good. You're American. I was like, no, I'm Pakistani. She's like, no, no, you're American. I was like, no, I'm not. And I have three kids at this time, right? And she's all like, put her hands on my shoulders and straightened, like looked me in the eye. I was like, darling, you're American. And I was like, what epiphany and I was so uncomfortable for the next two weeks just mulling it over and thinking and I was like well that's what I'm telling my kids I was like you were born here and your parents well I was born here you're American you know like you're not and you're probably not going to see Pakistan so yeah why is it different for me and that's when I first was like oh my identity is American as well yeah. it's not a bad thing You know, this is where the purest of my faith has been practiced. It's way purer than what my parents practiced. They were able to distill their essential practices in this country. They weren't Muslim in their Muslim countries, you know, and they would even say that. They were like, Islam is in America, even though there's not Muslims in America. There's Muslims in these Muslim countries, but there's no Islam.
1: So. That's fascinating to me. Isn't that yeah, crazy? Uh, yeah, and and I haven't heard anybody put it that way, but uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me and yeah. and speaks to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know how do you feel about when people ask you the quote question, "Where are you from?" Yeah, uh, I'm I'm okay with it. How do you feel about it?
2: I used to get really offended and like all you know in a huff about it, um, and I would be very defensive about saying like I'm uh, Pakistani. You know, at the time I was like, "Well, I'm from Pakistan," and then they would kind of I don't know. I guess I would get offended. Now, I think I'm more like Aziz sorry about it, you know, from my mother's womb.
1: <laughs> what is he say? I, I, I forgot. From I my mother's to... womb. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like, where are you? No, where are you really from? It's the where are you really from? I think that from? still does irk me. It's like, yeah. what do you mean by where am I really from? You know, where are any of us really from, right? Sure. Borders yeah. were only created in the last what century and a half. so. I, I don't, I still don't like that question, but now I like to give people a hard time because I'm really mean and patronizing <laughs> and I'll try to do the Aziz Sorry thing, but I'm way less funny at yeah. it than he is, so.
1: I feel like your parents, uh, your, your kids must love you and your sense of humor.
2: No, they actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they see that side of me that much.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Are you yeah, are I, you a strict parent? I'm a you... strict
2: parent, yeah. I'm the bad cop, so.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Up next, Uzma talks about the importance of allyship. This is American Muslim Project. Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is Uzma Jafri, co-host of the podcast Mommying While Muslim. In addition to her podcasting duties, Uzma is a doctor and runs a practice in Phoenix. I asked her why she decided to become a doctor.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm brown. So, you know, it's doctor, (laughs) what is it? Doctor, engineer, MBA. Those are our options, right? right? And so my dad did bring me home and says, because he was never able to become a doctor and that was his dream, uh, whispered in my ear, you will be a physician. So it's just, I mean, I can't relay or describe in words the confusion of you can't do this like laundry list of things because you're a woman but you're going to be a doctor and how to explain that to non-Muslim people or to yeah, like, sure. you know, white America, like how I have to be so educated from both sides of my family. It was required, but I can't do all these like regular things, pick the hard stuff, but like all these easy things you can't do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the easy things that you couldn't do?
2: Um, You know, boy, girl parties. It They're not orgies, but you know, our scared parents didn't know that. Um. <laughs>
1: We couldn't do sleepovers. Whether No it sleepovers, was, yeah, right? Yeah, no sleepovers, you can never do a sleepover.
2: Yeah. I, I can now as a mom understand that. Um, Why? So uh, when I was four and went to Pakistan, one of the things that we realize uh, as uh, immigrants is particularly in the subcontinental uh, region, there's a lot of sexual abuse. And mm. it goes unchecked. And actually is enabled, right? Because nobody talks about it and they use yeah. this one very, uh, this one tradition of Muhammad to hide the sins of your brother, which does not apply in this case. Because what's happening is a crime and it's oppression and you need to expose this person so they stop damaging generations of children. And so having experienced that at four years old, my family was very they were traumatized right because it happened to their daughter and so i know that again traumatized people traumatize people so my perpetrator was male, but he learned that from somebody It probably wasn't a female, right? Mm. So boys are targets, and I have three boys, so I'm very careful about it. And it was like, okay, once you come into a larger size, or if it's this one hala, this one friend that I have that I know, she she doesn't even trust Chuck E. Cheese, man. She got me scared <laughs> of Chuck E. Cheese. So I'm like, oh, it's Chuck E. Cheese. The kids can run around. Whoo, I'm so safe. She's like, no, they can pull them behind a machine. They can take them into the bathroom. You need to be on oh your guard. Goodness. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> So I'm like, you can spend the night at her house.
1: Wow, yeah.
2: So yeah, we're really careful. We, you know, we teach a lot of body autonomy and stuff like that. So sure. you know, that's an unfortunate circumstance. I think uh, in a lot of cultures, it's not just in ours. I mean, we see it in America all the time. Like um, child molesters get off like with a slap on the wrist, barely if that. So yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot your original question.
1: I can't remember it either. But <laughs> <that was. laughs> the notes, um, the regular stuff.
2: Why, the regular oh, the regular stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so sleepovers. No sleepovers yeah. A lot of times it was birthday parties too. Definitely pool parties. A, I couldn't swim and B, swimming suits. Although if I wore a swimming suit to the beach with my family, that was okay. So around family, I was safe, but around strangers – they just felt like um, they didn't trust anybody else. I think it, a lot of it was yeah. the trauma that happened to me, and a lot of it was just their own fear. It was all fear based, right?
1: Did, did, did you know that trauma was happening at four, or did you not realize? Until I didn't old? realize
2: it was a trauma because when um, somebody does that to you, they tell you it's a game. So, mm-hmm. and they tell you not to tell. So, you don't say anything. And then my dad wasn't there, he was home. So, like, I was gone with my mom, and somebody took advantage of the fact that Harried Mother with two tiny kids and she's got like wedding stuff to do you know, it's very easy. Our, our families are huge. We breed like ants, right? So it's really <laughs> easy to take one of them aside. And so when I came back, I did tell my dad, because, you know, I, I considered him my best friend. And, you know, I told him, you know, hey, there was this game, what do you call it? And it's like, the only way to describe my dad's, I didn't know how to describe my dad's face until the towers fell on nine eleven. That's what my dad's face looked wow. like, when the tower fell. And I was like, "Oh, how devastating for a parent, right?" And sure. you don't realize it until it's your own kid, and you have kids, and you're like, oh, "I never ever want my child to go through that, and I never want them to see that on my face, like poker face, yeah. every single time." Yeah. So, uh,
1: um, you mentioned that you had some incidents in graduate school as well of being sexually harassed. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that and what yeah. what that's like for a? Uh, 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 Muslim women in, in medical school?
2: Yeah. So um, medical school, I guess depending on where you go, I hear it's better now. But um, when I was there in the early 2000s, you are generally okay in your basic sciences. You're protected because you're just studying. You know, you you're, just, you're um, got your nose in the books. But when you go onto the clinical world, it's still while we have balanced in America the gender gap. medicine Um, men still wear the literal pants and they are still in um, powers positions of power and they will still take advantage of it if they don't do it professionally they will certainly do it um, physically sexually and uh, the hijab is not a deterrent. that's actually more of a challenge Um, and they will come after you and they will seek opportunities to take advantage of you and your position like you are you know, way below the scum that grows in the corner of the hospital basement. Like you're nothing as a medical student, and you can complain and you can go to the people in your school that are supposed to be protecting you, and they will be very empathetic and you know write an incident report, but nothing will happen, and the perpetrator will continue to traumatize students after you, unless you um, will warn them. And um, some of us were not warned, so you walk into these situations and you quickly learn to find allies and. I can't stress how important it is for those male allies to step up because in one of the most traumatic situations that I had, it was a guy who witnessed what was happening. Like he could see what was happening. He would not leave my side. And it was amazing. Like there was no agenda for him except to make sure that I was safe because he even went as testimony to our school with me to say, I saw this happen twice. And, you know, that didn't help either. But him physically being there was, you know, it was a a really emotional, a, a big emotional support for me. Women won't be believed, you know, and that I don't know when that's going to change. But I do um, say that if men step up as allies in that moment, if we have men that we can trust with that horrible burden, it it really, really alleviates it. And I would say that anybody who thinks that your daughters are going to be protected in medicine or there's any field that's safe from that, you're wrong. If you think that anything your daughter wears matters or doesn't matter, the length of her hem doesn't matter because if every inch of her body is covered, it doesn't matter.
1: Very interesting. And uh, thanks. thank you for sharing again. Uh, you mentioned that it is getting better. And, and I wonder is part of the reason that it is, you know, whatever, I don't know how much it's getting better, but is part of that because voices like yours are more out there and there are places like podcasts? Is this all interconnected?
2: I think it is social media. I think it is different um, types of media, like you said, podcasts, um, blogs, the democratization of information, which has its pluses and minus, right? Because you can also spread disinformation as we've seen. Um, But the fact that voices like mine can get out there, you know, if it had happened earlier, would we have had situations like we did with Brett Kavanaugh? Would we have had to, you know, have situations like Bill Cosby if these voices had existed before? Because, you know, even the media's, controlled by the same people you know it's like men Um, so whoever owns the news owns the story owns the truth so I think the more democratic ways we have to disseminate that the better it is and you know certainly certainly having just talked about how podcasts are a way to um, generate uh, social change and social justice uh, to promote social justice I think you know spot on I think that's
1: one way that we can do it. You in one of your more recent podcasts, you mentioned how you, uh, when you watch the news documentaries, you look at it through a conspiratorial lens. <laughs> Can you talk about that?
2: <laughs> well, you know, when you're Muslim, I mean, okay, I'm not one of those crazy conspirators who's like, oh, 9 yeah, 11 didn't really happen, so, yeah, yeah of I'm not yeah, one yeah. of those people. It's like, no, dude, it, I watched it, <laughs> 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 but, um you know it's just you you grow up knowing about fake news in america because we knew what was happening on the ground in palestine we knew what was really happening in india and pakistan but that's not what was being shown on the news you know because we had boots on the ground that could tell us exactly what was happening um and then in the 90s you could start seeing how you know with the growth of news channels and cable news and stuff we were able to get even more information. It's like, oh, everything I learned back in the 80s was probably wrong, you know? And then yeah. all of these, like, <laughs> you know, it was like uh, Russia was so bad in the 80s and Rambo was killing them. And then in the 90s, we like, mm, we had a hand in that too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and then social yeah. media pops up and it's just like, wow, a lot, a lot that we learned was a lie and a lot that we needed to learn was never taught. You know, I think it's less... Uh, being a conspiracy theorist and being a consumer of of better news and demanding more of my news. So like we knew there was fake news before, but that term got stolen from us and taken by somebody else to say even the legitimate news is wrong now. No, that's not the case. There's just more information out there that really deserves to be disseminated. But who's going to do it? You know, because it costs money to do that. So we need more avenues and more types of media and people willing to pick up the mic or the pen in order to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it's just it, it can be so frustrating at times where, mm-hmm. you know, I'll read an article about a certain issue and then, uh, you know, somewhere in my head, I'll be like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go down the rabbit hole for like three hours, exactly. to, you know, and, and I just wish that I had that one source of truth that yeah. like I could trust and believe, but I totally get it. Once so I hit ridiculous.
2: Southern Poverty Law Center calls this person yeah. like <laughs> Ill- illegitimate. I'm like, OK, we're done.
0: We're,
1: yeah, we're done with that one. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um one question that I like to ask people is: Do you have a uniquely American Muslim experience that you want to share?
2: Um, yeah, I think that's what a lot of our podcast is about. But um, so uh, Zeba would always call me out on the whole. Oh, you just think everybody's out to get you. You think everybody's out to get to you. And I'm like, okay, you know. So in the past few years, we've gotten together twice, and even last week, we spent the week together. And uh, she noticed. You know, we're in the South, um, and she's like everywhere we go people turn around and they look at you and wow. i'm like yeah you know they're they're looking and that's why for me the uniquely american experience is i'm loud and my husband thinks i do it because i'm just generally a loud annoying person but <laughs> um or that i like attention and i'm there, he's not wrong there i do I don't mind attention, but I also like to draw it because despite how I look, I also want you to hear my perfect English because I'm not going to take you raising your voice to me to get me to understand and I'm not going to take bull. So um, when I'm out with my children, I do that a lot because that's, you know, they're additional targets because I'm with them. And so I remember we had the whole fight about what we're going to name our kids. And we didn't want to name, my husband's family didn't want to name that was too Muslim. And I was like, they are going to be hanging out with me. What do you (laughs) think is going to happen? I'm the target on their front and their back. So I am in public vote, very vocal. I'm loud and I'm firm with my children because I want people to see that I'm firm with them but I'm really going to take you down if you try to come at me, you know? And so I would not that.
1: recommend it. Yeah.
2: Don't. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. But like, it's not something that I notice anymore, the once over, but because I already anticipate that it's going to happen. I walk out with my shoulders squared and whether that's a defensive posture or not, I feel like, I'm still welcoming like I still want conversation I will still walk up to strangers and strangers still walk up to me because I don't think it's threatening in any way when I square up I just do it because I know the once overs are coming and I know that they're listening for difference and it always shocks people especially in the south uh when it's like wait like all the things that I break as a result of just my lack of accent and my presence and the way I dress, you know, like this doesn't have to be political. It just happens to be the way I prefer yeah. to dress in the country of my birth. So, yeah,
1: amazing, Uzma, Thank you so much for joining American Muslim Project. The podcast is "Momming While Muslim," um, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks so much, Uzma.
2: Thank you. This is fun.
1: My Conversation with Uzma was recorded in August of 2021. You can find out more information about their podcast on their website, com, or you can follow them on social media. Thanks for listening to the show. American Muslim Project is a production of on Media. Today's show was produced and edited by Mark Anato, Lindsay Gamble, Isabel Havens, and me, Assad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme. Find out more on our website, americanmuslimproject.com.